Hello, my Rebels. Today I talk about something that has not been reported in any Canadian media other than the lucky people who live in Sault Ste. Marie. Justin Trudeau has announced a new censorship provision in his campaign platform. You'd think that would be of interest, but apparently only lucky Sault Ste. Marie citizens uh, know about it because that's the only newspaper that's written about it. I'll take you through it today based on a foreign newspaper reporting it. Um, folks, before I get out of the way, can you do me a favor and go to Premium? rebelnews.com. It's eight bucks a month, and you get the video version of the podcast, the video version. And you're going to want to do that because, oh, do I have some images to show you on the second half of the podcast where we sit down with Justin Trudeau's yearbook brought in by our friend Candace Malcolm. Oh, you got to see it. Yeah, you can engage in the theater of the mind that is the podcast, but you got to see the viz. And you can by becoming a premium subscriber. Premium.rebelnews.com. It's eight bucks a month. Give her. Okay, here's the show. Tonight, Justin Trudeau's campaign platform proposes new internet censorship, and neither the conservatives nor the media object. It's October 2nd, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish is because it's my bloody right to do so. What a terrible few days it's been for freedom of speech. First, our friend Andrew Lawton was kicked off the Liberal campaign bus for, well, they wouldn't say exactly. They said he wasn't accredited, which is weird because there really isn't any such thing as media accreditation in Canada. It's not like being a doctor or even a certified plumber. He's just become a journalist by doing journalism, and Andrew has been a journalist for more than a decade. In fact, he's even interviewed Justin Trudeau before. If you were prime minister, what would your plan be on a carbon tax? Is it something you would uh, consider? Uh, I, I have said, like all all uh, all different parties, including Mr. Harper, that we need uh, some sort of price on carbon pollution. Uh, but the mechanism through which we do that uh, you know, should be up to uh, up to various provinces uh, because they've already taken uh, taken the lead on that. And what the federal government needs to do is is uh, coordinate that and oversee uh, uh, the the implementation. So that's an accredited journalist in my books and apparently in Justin Trudeau's books. But Trudeau's had a rough go of things lately and he can't risk having a journalist around who isn't fully compliant to the Unifor Union's pro-Trudeau campaign or at least part of the massive media bailout. So Andrew was banned and then it got weirder when police literally pulled him over to the side of the road to grill him. And of course it got a lot worse this week when Andrew Scheer did the same thing to our own David Menzies, kicked him out of a press conference that was open to all media. As this is not a public event and you're not accredited media, so we're going to ask you to leave this. How do you get to be accredited media? Uh, you need to be accredited by the campaign. You are not accredited media, so we're going to ask you to leave, please. And why is that? Uh, you are not accredited media. This is a private event. We are going to ask you to leave. Please. No, you keep saying that, but why am no, I'm I? I'm not, not doing an interview right media. here right now. You can get in touch with our press well, that's office. That's what I was invited for. You, so you were like, actually not invited. You are not accredited okay, media. We're going to ask you to leave. You can get in touch with the press office and uh, get learn more about our. Is this the Andrew Shear event or the Justin Trudeau event? Uh, Mr. Menzies, I'm going to ask yes. you to leave. Please, you're not accredited. What is he announcing that you don't want? Who are you, by the way? I'm uh, with the campaign. You're welcome to step outside here. I'll stay here. 
that enforcer is actually my former employee, Jamie Ellerton, now working for Andrew Scheer, using the word-for-word -word excuse Trudeau used with Andrew Lawton. You're not accredited because you're not accredited. And just like Andrew Lawton had interviewed Justin Trudeau before, David Menzies has interviewed conservatives hundreds of times before. It was weird. And then the handcuffs was just the new low. And then comes news of Justin Trudeau's new censorship policy. Here it is, being reported in the US-based Breitbart.com. Justin Trudeau's party demands big tech hate speech crackdown. Of course, what he means is cracking down on speech that he hates. And we'll be the first to go at the rebel. We and Andrew Lawton, I guess. It is disappointing to see the Conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy theories while we work with the international community to protect our robust immigration system. Here, let me read from Breitbart's article. Say, have you seen this story in any Canadian media? I'm just kidding. Of course not. I mean, it's the same reason we all have to rely on Time magazine, an American magazine to break the blackface photos and the Daily Telegraph of the UK to go deeper into the bizarre blackface night at Justin Trudeau's school where he taught. Our Canadian media have been completely tamed and all it took was $600 million. That's actually pitiful. Okay, so here's the story in Breitbart. The ruling Liberal Party of Canada, whose leader and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was recently outed for repeated, repeatedly wearing blackface, has pledged to force social media companies to remove hate speech within 24 hours if it wins the upcoming Canadian election. And then Breitbart quotes from the Liberal platform. The Liberal platform available on the party's website states, social media can also be used to threaten, intimidate, bully, and harass people, or used to promote racist, anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, misogynist, and homophobic views that target communities, put people's safety at risk, and undermine Canada's long-standing commitment to diversity. We believe that when social media platforms are used to spread these harmful views, the platforms themselves must also be held accountable. What's a harmful view? I agree that threatening people, if that means a threat of violence, that's wrong. We already have a criminal code provision against uttering threats. What's a misogynistic view? Is that when, say, Trudeau gropes someone and then gaslights them, gaslights his victims saying, oh, she just remembered it wrong? Like I said, uh, I do not feel that I acted inappropriately uh, in any way, uh, but I respect uh, the fact that someone else might have experienced that differently. Is that the kind of misogynistic view that Justin Trudeau wants to ban online? How can you put a real threat of violence in the same category as an opinion that undermines Canada's long-standing commitment to diversity? One is a crime that police need to get involved with. The other is some political opinion. But look at this, I'll read more from the Breitbart story because I can't read this from the CBC because they haven't reported on it. To help stop the proliferation of violent extremism online, we will move forward with new regulations for social media platforms, starting with a requirement that all platforms remove illegal content, including hate speech, within 24 hours or face significant financial penalties. So within 24 hours of the Liberal Party complaining to their friends at Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, those companies absolutely have to take down the content in question or face significant penalties. Now, I imagine that some illegal content, like a terrorist snuff film, for example, would be immediately evident. But in what other legal system that you can think of is there an accusation, a trial, and a verdict, and maybe an appeal in 24 hours? 
In real life, if there is an accusation, it has its day in court. If there's an urgent crime, if there's an emergency, the police race over and stop any violence and detain someone dangerous if that's necessary. But then, if he's not dangerous, he's let out on bail, if there's no real risk, and then everybody comes back to court after having had time to prepare, and a neutral judge in an open court has a hearing. That's how we decide if something is illegal in Canada. An accusation is definitely a part of it, but it's just the starting part. Then we have the middle part, and then we have the end part. We don't do it in 24 hours by threatening social media companies with a massive fine. It's clear they'll always lean in favor of the liberal government's demands. I mean, not only are they liberal to begin with by nature, but these companies, they simply don't want to pay a million-dollar fine for not listening to Justin Trudeau. It's actually a shakedown, Trudeau shaking down the social media companies, but I think they like it. It just gives them legal cover for a massive political purge that they want to do now, but just couldn't justify. Trudeau is telling social media companies, censor my enemies in 24 hours or I'll hurt you. It's exactly what he threatened Sheryl Sandberg, the Facebook COO with, directly 18 months ago. Remember that? The Toronto Star actually reported that once, and then no one ever mentioned it again. Because they're all on the payroll now, including the Toronto Star now. Toronto Star is getting $115,000 a week from Trudeau, that's where this is all headed. All media will either be paid by the government or punished by the government. Lawton, Menzies, Rebel News. I searched and I found only one story about this in Canada, uh, written by this interesting looking fellow, David Helwig, an old school 1960s liberal who wrote this item in Sioux Today. Uh, that's a small publication for Sault Ste. Marie, good story. There's about 70,000 Canadians who live in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, in the form of David Helwig's story, they got more journalism than anyone who reads the Toronto Star or the CBC, didn't they? Other than that, no one cares. Now, I find that odd. I find that sad. I think it's the death of journalism. But every remaining journalist has made their peace with that because the industry is so weak, it's been taken over by vultures. If this were the 1990s before the internet devoured newspapers, when newspapers still made money, lots of money, when TV stations were strong before video devoured them, the idea that Trudeau could throw a few hundred million dollars at all the publishers in the country and buy them all off, the idea that the entire media unions would endorse and campaign for candidates was unthinkable. But the remaining journalists are so shell-shocked and so worried about their personal financial futures, they've sold out. They've made the decision they would rather be able to write in a very narrow political bandwidth permitted by their masters and have a safe government-subsidized paycheck than enjoy the freedom that used to be the bedrock of journalism and any creative industry. Journalists always said they cared about free speech. What they really always meant was they cared about their own free speech, not so much about others, but now they've decided they don't even really care about their own free speech, at least not more than they care about a few dollars. Free speech is an abstract belief, won't pay their rent or grocery bill. There was this super gross moment the other day, Rosemary Barton asked about the oil and gas uh, industry and, and called it a dying industry. Did you catch that? You see Jessica's kids working in the oil and gas sector. <clears throat> um, I mean, Jessica's Jessica, do you yeah, see your kids working? Okay. I mean, do, but do you, is, there, is, that a, is it fair to say that's a dying industry because it has to be? Yeah. No, Rosemary, um, I know, that was your, what your platonic boyfriend keeps saying. But uh, back in real life, every single authority in the world forecasts that the demand for oil and gas and coal will remain strong for the foreseeable future. Everyone drives. 
China and India want to drive too. They want electricity too. No one is decarbonizing. That's a kooky thing that autistic teenagers from Sweden talk about, but it is not real life. No, oil and gas jobs are thriving around the world, Rosemary. They're only in trouble in Canada because of the political meddling. No, it's, it's actually media jobs that are dying, but not even. It's just that Rosemary Barton's, well, those kind of journalists, they no longer have a monopoly, so more people are getting their news from Rebel News and Andrew Lawton and David Menzies and a thousand other citizen journalists than from some boring liberal legacy media. Rosemary Barton would be out of a job were it not for Trudeau's largesse. The rest of the media party has made the same deal with the devil. It's their industry that's dying. It's not oil and gas. They're not journalists anymore. They're, they're in the PR business. I mean, you saw, remember that desperate, desperate young CTV reporter in Ottawa who was mocking Kean? Remember his softball questions for Catherine McKenna? What is your message to those like this gentleman here and people who will never listen to what you're saying today? When you hear the president of the United States say what he said recently about why are they going after plastic straws? How difficult is it to combat the mudding of the waters when you have people advocating? When I speak to conservative supporters, or at least those who claim to be, uh, they say the carbon tax has to go. When you talk to constituents, what are they saying about the carbon tax? Do they understand what the carbon tax is and who initially came up with it? Yeah, that's a job application. That's not an interview. That's called, can you hire me as your press secretary after the election so I can stop doing stories that nobody watches for 50 grand a year at CTV? And can you give me a 35-hour-a-week job for 120 grand a year, please? He's no journalist. That, my friends, is why no one in Canada, other than one colorful character in the Sioux, is running about Trudeau's new plans for censorship. Well, you've got us around, at least until they shut us down on 24 hours' notice. Stay with us. We'll talk about more censorship next. Welcome back. Well, we're talking about censorship. I have breaking news. Let me read to you a tweet by a reporter for an independent online Canadian news site called The Post Millennial. You know some of their contributors, including our friend Barbara Kay. Let me read to you from Sidak Ahuja, who writes from Montreal. He says, very odd to be questioned by the RCMP just now for photographing the Trudeau campaign bus. I told them I was a journalist with the post-millennial. They told me, quote, stick to media events. Really? Since when do we live in a society where the police tell reporters what they can and can't report on? Very troubling. This comes on the heels of our own David Menzies being handcuffed by RCMP at an Andrew Shear event, which was the most bizarre part of it. And our next guest is the editor-in-chief of True North, whose reporter, Andrew Lawton, an old buddy of ours, was not arrested, thank God, but was pulled over and questioned by police on the highway for following the Liberal campaign. Joining us now in studio is Candace Malcolm. Candace, great to see you. Thanks for having me, Ezra. Well, it's nice to see you. And I don't want to talk too much about censorship before we move on to the, your big scoop. But give me a few thoughts on the treatment that Andrew Lawton endured, that David Menzies endured, and now it looks like Sidak Ahuja, I don't know him well, 
But if his report is accurate, I find that troubling. Absolutely. The police have no business telling a journalist what they can and cannot report, period. And the fact that we're seeing this over and over again in election, it's troubling. It should be alarming to every journalist in the profession. And it's sad, Ezra, that there are a couple of outlets that lean right editorially. You know, there's thousands of outlets in Canada that lean to the left, thousands of journalists anyway, mm -hmm. dozens of, of outlets. And, you know, if, if anything happened to them, I'm sure there would be solidarity amongst the journalist class. But when it happens to someone who comes from an outlet that might lean right or have a right-wing editorial position, the media just doesn't care by and large. The journalists ignore it. And it was it was unfortunate, I thought, that, that the conservatives did the same thing because the liberals were doing it and it was totally totally, totally unacceptable. And, you know, we were ringing the alarm bell the way that Andrew Lawton was being treated. And then to see the conservatives do the same thing was very disappointing. And I will know it was a little funny that, that when it happened with the conservatives, you saw the Toronto Star writing about it, you saw something about it in McLean's, whereas all those journalists had completely ignored it when Trudeau was doing the exact same thing to us the week before. Not just ignored it, you know, you made me think, um, I mean, I, about a month ago, I had an op-ed in the Globe and Mail. I was very grateful for it. I was surprised by it. They let me write about this marginalization, this censorship. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it very carefully because the Globe and Mail is a pretty prestigious audience. I criticized the Globe and Mail, but I have to tip my hat. They gave me 800 words. Absolutely. The Unifor Union r tore a strip off their own editors, wrote a letter of complaint that I should not even have been allowed to complain in their pages. So. Not even did, they didn't, let alone show support for our marginalization. They didn't want me to complain in their pages about the marginalization. I find that the most troubling part. Yes, I don't like what politicians are doing. Yes, I don't like what the cops are doing. But where are all the journalists who were supposed to care? Right, and that's that's the question. You know, they, they don't want, maybe it's the competition, maybe it's because they kind of have a monopoly over the ideas. They decide, you know, what is left, what is right, and what, what gets reported on. And the fact that there's so many independent outlets, they feel threatened, obviously. And, and then they just don't really trust people who have a conservative worldview. And it was so unfortunate because so many Canadians do have that worldview. And the fact that Canadians who come from a conservative position or conservative persuasion aren't allowed to have reports geared towards them, aren't allowed to have stories told in, in a voice that appeals to them, it, it's, it's, it's very, very concerning. It's a sad state of journalism in this country. Yeah, I mean, that's right. I don't claim that the rebel speaks for everyone, but we do tell a side of the story, and there, there seems to be a demand for it, and a demand enough that uh, True North and the post-millennial, I think there's room on the right, and it, but not according to the establishment. Last question on this, because I want to move on to your news, and you've brought evidence and artifacts with you today. I can hardly wait to get into it. But just one last thing. If it were Stephen Harper, the Prime Minister, or Doug Ford, the Premier, or Jason Kenney, the Premier, who was ordering journalists out, who was telling the cops to shoo away journalists on the left, journalists from the far-left Toronto Star, from Rabble or Press Progress or whatever, I don't think the establishment would be this quiet, do you? I don't think Unifor would say, shut up, do no, you? No, I mean, this is, what, this is what they accuse Trump of doing. What they accuse Trump of doing that's like half-based in 
fantasy is what Trudeau is actually doing. And unfortunately, what Sheer did to your journalist the other day, I mean, having someone cuffed was just awful to see. I've never seen it in before Canada. in Canada. It was, it was so yeah. awful to see. But, you know, the, just, just the idea that when Trudeau was running for office in 2015, he was criticizing Harper yeah. for kicking someone out of a, of a rally. It wasn't a journalist. It yeah. was just a citizen. Yeah. And Trudeau repeated himself over and over again that he respects journalists and that he's always going to be open to journalists. You know, it's just four years ago and how conveniently that's been scrubbed from the record. Journalists don't bring it up. They don't talk about the fact that not only is Trudeau acting like a dictator, but he's a complete hypocrite because it's exactly the opposite of what he was saying four years ago. Yeah. I, I keep saying soon there will only be two kinds of journalists allowed, those that are paid by the government and those that are punished by the government. It'll all be government, either approved or banned. Just no independence. I fear that's coming true quickly. All right, let me put that aside because... I mean, I wanted to talk because you're the editor-in-chief of uh, True North, so it's great to have you here, and we're fans of yours anyways. But you, besides just being the editor-in-chief of True North, you do real digging. And you have brought with you today two books. And why don't you just show the cover, show the cover, and we'll have a close-up later. You've brought yearbooks. Yeah, so these are, the, these are the yearbooks from West Point Gray Academy, which is the very small private school on the west side of Vancouver that Justin Trudeau taught at for just a brief time. He was there for a little over two years, Ezra. So, you know, we can go through these yearbooks there. It can kind of go back to a different time. I don't know that schools still put together yearbooks like this in this sort of digital age, but this was before Facebook. This is before social media. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can just kind of see a picture of what it was like at this school. And one of the things that I just find so interesting, Ezra, is how many times Justin Trudeau's photo appears in these yearbooks. You know, he was a teacher. He was not a student. This isn't yeah. from his high school. Yeah. This is as an adult man, a 28, 29-year-old teacher. Uh, you, know, you see his face over and over and over again, goofing around, roughhousing with the students, wearing different costumes. It, his picture appears about a dozen times in each of his yearbooks. Probably more than any other... More than the uh, students. Any other students. More than the students. At least so, he's not on the cover, but that's that's a surprise. <laughs> well, take me through these. I see you have some sticky tabs. Yeah, sure. So let's. Well, I mean, first of all, the the most incriminating thing of all, obviously, is the picture of him wearing blackface, which is right he here. He just he he does it all the time. Yeah, and but this is the first instance, and you know it's interesting because it's surprising that this hasn't come out before, Ezra. Mm -hmm. But when you're looking through the yearbook, you know the picture, it's kind of right in the middle. It almost blends in because there's a black background here. Right. You could see how someone even looking for it might miss right. it. it. Took me a few times flipping through to even find right. the the damage. But you know, aside from that, there, there's a lot of other things that, that stand out about Justin Trudeau. So here he is. Uh, I spoke to a couple of students who attended the school, and they told me that Trudeau was kind of known at the school for being the ultimate Frisbee coach. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, you know, ultimate Frisbee is, is probably not a thing at a lot of schools, but, but here he is uh, in two years in a row. There's pictures of him kind of dressing up. He, he, there he is with his arms around the students. Here he is wearing a kilt, and they're doing some kind of a human now, He's wearing a kilt, there. but none of them are wearing kilts. Right, right. That's weird. Yeah, and then let me just find the, the next year, because this is the one that I uh, included in my son column here. And hang on, on this picture at the top here, he's got his arm around a girl. I tell you, uh, maybe it's the 2019 Me Too era. I would never put my arm around a girl who was not, a, not my wife or my daughter. Like yeah. that—that's a—that's a little bit handsy. Well, Trudeau is really chummy with the students, and honestly, Ezra, it seems like he is a student. When you look at these, this is the next year uh, with the Ultimate Frisbee team. So here he is, here with a big Mickey Mouse hat on, with his face painted. 
Here he is down here wearing a black afro wig, also with face yeah. paint, again with the kilt. And here he is up here just sort of playing and roughhousing with the students. He's, he's in more pictures than any given kid. Yeah, and then this is funny too because they wrote a little poem about the team. And they described Justin Trudeau as a loudmouth maniac. Hmm. This is the Prime Minister of Canada, you know? That's how he, they described him, a loudmouth maniac. That's so funny. Which is, which is interesting. But, you know, again, I, I spoke to students at the school, and one of the things that was really interesting, Ezra, is that he didn't really have a teaching job. He, he was at the school. He was kind of a backup. Like, like he was a mascot. He was, he, well, he Just was, like he is as Prime Minister. He was the, he's the mascot of the Ultimate Frisbee team, but he didn't have a, a class that he taught every day. He kind of floated around. Because well, that's too much work. He was, like a, he was kind of like a backup teacher. So he was the backup drama teacher. He um, was a yearbook instructor. Interestingly enough, he taught a yearbook class. So is that a class or like he ran the club? He, it, was, it, was a, it was an elective class. A there class was a couple of, couple of students. I didn't know that was a class. Yeah, at this, at this private school it was. And so, you know, it's interesting because he would have been the one that was editing it and, you know, all the pictures are of him and, and, you know, he was editing it. So this is the only picture in the whole yearbook I could find of him actually teaching something. And the caption says, Mr. Trudeau loves to teach French to kindergarten students. And again, he's wearing the kilt. He's wearing a whole outfit. He's all the kids the, are on the floor. Yeah. So they're at the, crotch height and he's wearing a kilt. Now, to wear the kilt regimental style, there's nothing but net under there. It's just, just all fresco. It's just freezy breezies. Uh, he looks like he's a pirate with a kilt. Now, maybe that's a traditional Scottish shirt. Why is he wearing a kilt when he's teaching French to kids? Is it always dress-up day in Trudeau land? Well, you know, that's really, I mean, maybe you could say he just had a lot of school spirit and he was a fun guy. But, you know, this is the person who became prime minister of the country. And, you know, a major fact on his resume, he, he likes to say that he was a teacher. But, you know, Ezra, it doesn't really seem like he was a teacher at the school. It just seems like he was more like a, a, a camp counselor or there as a PR stunt, you know, having the, the, the former son, the son of the former prime minister there, you know, t teaching kids, you know, French is his native language and he's teaching He's teaching French to five-year-olds. That's not really teaching. That's, that's something that anyone could, could really do. So again, you know, all the pictures, all the fun that he's having, it really just, again, kind of makes it concrete that Trudeau was not a serious teacher at the school. He's not a serious person. He wasn't someone who you would ever guess would one day lead Canada and become the prime minister, especially when this is his biggest thing on his resume that he likes to point to that he yeah. did before becoming a politician. We've got a lot of sticky tabs. Are there other things that are interesting to see? Well, I, I was just going to kind of, oh, th this is interesting. The uh, West Point Grey Gala. So the, the, the blackface photo came from the gala in 2001. This is the year before. You can tell that Trudeau is there to raise money for the school, and they mm. brag about it. They brag about the fact that he brought in uh, over $100,000 and that he was the MC. Here it says uh, the theme was James, James Bond. Who better to fit the role than none other than Mr. Trudeau, who came equipped with a tux, martini glass, and a plastic gun. And, and here he is holding a gun. Mm -hmm. Holding a gun. You know, he's surrounded by women. He looks like kind of like a creepy kind of womanizer. Yeah, there's a woman down, there's a couple women down on his knees. Down on his knees, he's got the gun up to the woman's bare chest here. And, you know, I, I just thought it was kind of funny because when uh, Trudeau's blackface scandal came, the liberals quickly announced a gun ban, mm -hmm. right? And that was how they were changing the channel. Yeah. Well, you know, here's oblivious uh, Justin Trudeau bringing a gun to a school event a few months after the Columbine massacre, Ezra. So this mm. is really, uh, you know, it's not, not, not in line with Trudeau's brand here.
Hmm. Well, this is very interesting. Are there any other photos of, of note or, or other passages? No, just again, you know, here's Trudeau having fun. He went on the ski trip. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not teaching. Yeah, yeah we've got the ultimate frisbee. I think thing. he was like a, a buddy. Yeah. He was like a friendly buddy who was always up for a gag. Blackface several times. He's, there's the, the official blackface at the Aladdin dinner, even though Aladdin in the, in the story is not black. Um, he, he, blackface on the Frisbee team, um, always a costume. Even when it's not costume time, he'll wear the kilt. Um, I didn't know he didn't actually have a class. Hmm. That's sort of sad. Well, and he, he, he claims that he was a math teacher, but he, he's not listed at all uh, on the math. Oh, here he is. He taught senior newspaper. So that, that's, See, again. teaching newspaper, teaching yearbook, those are other electives. Things, yeah. Those are clubs. Yeah. Like when I was in high school, I was in the newspaper club. I was not on the yearbook club. But those are clubs. That's not something that you teach. That's not a scholarly endeavor that's the fun stuff you do at lunch or after school right and, and there is a page uh, i don't i don't have it marked but it, it, it's for the math uh math at the school and it doesn't show justin Trudeau at all so as best i can tell he was not involved whatsoever uh with the math so i i don't, I don't know like everyone's digging into andrew Shear's past as an insurance broker to find out whether or not he was actually properly licensed or whatever and you know trudeau claims that he was a teacher again i, I just flipping through these yearbook uh, photos, Ezra. There's no mention of him teaching math. There's no mention of him teaching pre-law, which he's also said that he did. Pre-law. Which is, I don't even think that that's a course I don't know um, if that's in a high thing. school. Yeah. And uh, you know, no, no one's digging into his past to, to question his credentials and say that he wasn't really a teacher. Definitely not a math teacher at this school, anyway. Yeah, you know, it. it what, the most interesting thing about the whole blackface story. There were two interesting things about it in my mind. First, it was broken by Time Magazine, mm -hmm. a foreign media that's not on the Unifor Union, not on the payroll, so they're independent. Maybe that's why they broke the story. But then, after they broke the story, instead of all the media sending a dozen reporters out to West Point Gray to dig up what you've just dug up, they sent them after the guy who handed the yearbook to Time. Right. The Globe and Mail put literally five reporters, and the CBC put also five reporters to say, who was the guy who blew the whistle, blew the whistle, who leaked it? The CBC, they called it a leak. It's not a leak. It's right here in a public yearbook. Right. The Globe and Mail and the CBC were more interested in who the hell said this than they were about <laughs> doing the journalism. Right. Who, who embarrassed Canada by bringing up the past of our prime minister? I mean, it was the prime minister himself who made the decision to paint his skin like a racist yeah. and prance around, be pictured in the yearbook. That wasn't the, the, the you know, the, the person who had one of these yearbooks. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'd heard rumors that, the, that there was a picture of Justin Trudeau wearing blackface. I, I'd, I'd heard rumors for years about it and, and I was just unable to find it. And so it's not like it was something that just kind of came out of left mm -hmm. field. P people talked about it. They knew that it existed. You know, 500 people were at the gala where he wore that ridiculous costume. Mm. Um, that, that kind of stuff gets around and people remember it. So again, you're right. The fact that the CBC put more questions to the person who made this picture public as opposed to the actual individual who did it, 
you know, they, they, they let it slide. And, and yeah. you know, right after it happened, Ezra, they, they, the, a bunch of media companies went out and started talking to people, found people who were quickly willing to forgive Trudeau, to mm. say, oh, it's no big deal. And they just played that over and over. Canadians saying, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it happened 20 years ago. Oh, he was a kid, mm. you know. Kid. And, yeah. and, and, and it made people think, yeah, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It was the Liberals who their entire campaign strategy was to dig up dirt on conservatives, things that they had tweeted, things that they had said 10, 15 years ago. And then, you know, this this picture really just kind of backfired against the Liberals. It made it so that they couldn't really do their strategy anymore, which was trying to dig up dirt on conservatives to, to, to show how, you know, racist, sexist, homophobic, and mm. anti-Muslim they are. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, listen, thank you for bringing these uh, artifacts in and showing me them. I've learned more in person with you in the last 10 minutes than I did from reading any issue of the Toronto Star, Globe and Mail, or watching the CBC. It's incredible to me, but I salute you and True North, and uh, it's no surprise that your reporter was harassed um, because you guys ask questions that you're not supposed to, which is frankly part of the job of a journalist. Absolutely, and you know it's not going to stop us. Trudeau stopping Andrew Lawton from getting on the bus is not going to stop us from reporting. We're going to continue to expose things about Trudeau, things about the Liberals throughout the rest of the campaign. Yeah, well, it's great to have you here. Good to see you. Keep up the fight. The campaign this still has a couple of weeks to go. I look forward to your reporting on this and other subjects. Great, thanks, Ezra. All right, there you have it. Our friend Candace Malcolm. She's the editor in chief of True North, which you can find. I, I usually say tnc.news. That's their website, and of course, our good friend Andrew Lawton works there along with other friends of the channel, including Anthony Fury. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Hey folks, on my monologue yesterday, Liz writes, Regardless of the event, I would prefer for journalists to be allowed to get a question in if they can. This is election time, weeks before voting day. It is imperative that the press have access to politicians and that they get to ask whatever they bloody well want. Yeah, well, not just that. But uh, as I said about Andrew Shear, if you can't handle David Menzies, the Menzoid, if you can't handle the Menzoid, you're not ready to handle negotiating with provincial premiers, um, negotiating with public sector unions, negotiating with Donald Trump, a trade deal, or Xi Jinping, or Vladimir Putin. If you can't handle a tough question that you probably have been briefed on, and then if not, you should be able to answer anyways. If you can't handle David Menzies, you're not ready to be Prime Minister of a G7 country. Edward writes, I'm so glad Ezra had kept the copy of the video which easily debunks the assertion that this was a private event and anyone with an open and fair mind can easily see Shear saying his events, plural, are open to everyone. Yeah, uh, speaking of that, it was, a, it was at a Legion Hall, I think it was in Halifax, and Andrew Shear was specifically asked by a young student, will you let the rebel in? And her question got applause, remember that? So Andrew Shear pandered the applause to the young girl. Imagine telling that young girl, no. I mean, he would lose her heart forever and everyone in the room. So he pandered under the slightest of pressure. It's like when he was on TV with Evan Solomon. Evan Solomon said, will you do what the UN says? Um, I'm feeling momentarily uncomfortable, so I'll say yes. A 14-year-old schoolgirl says, will you let the rebel in your event? There's a lot of clapping at the Legion. So Andrew Shrew says, oh, there's no way I can say no to this 14-year-old schoolgirl, so I'll say yes. 
How about just tell the truth? How about say what you believe? If you want to let the rebel in, how about say that? If you don't, how about say that? I think you should have a good reason why not to. It's not very conservative why not to. That's just embarrassing. Uncle Bob writes, your last clip last night of Wendy reminded me a singular incident where a rebel reporter on her own participates in an extremist website is immediately dismissed. And now the entire rebel news is considered racist and white supremacist Whereas the CBC had a star interviewer who beat up multiple women, known to management, but prevaricated in firing him, and the state broadcaster is not considered misogynist and anti-feminist, which they certainly are not, but according to their standards, they must be. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I remember the very minute when Faith Goldie uh, disclosed to me what she had kept secret to me. Um, A reporter had learned of the fact that she went on this neo-Nazi podcast. Obviously, I didn't know about that. Faith didn't tell me. I don't follow neo-Nazi podcasts. Faith showed me on her phone an email from a reporter. And I remember the moment. It was a 15-second conversation. She said, "Uh, I think I have to resign. I said, no, I'm going to fire you. And that's all it was. I said, come to the boardroom, and you can say your goodbyes to the staff. And she was out of the office in five minutes. Whereas Jean Gomeshi, everyone at the CBC knew exactly who he was and what he was doing, and they either turned a blind eye or actively covered up and tried to discredit the accusers because he was their star. That is something they should have to live with because they abided it. On my interview with Tommy Robinson, Jan writes, Tommy Robinson is destined to do greater things. Now people will start putting the pieces together with what's happening with Boris and realize that not only was Tommy right, they were wrong about him. Absolutely brilliant to create this sting. Jan, I'm not as sanguine as you are because Tommy has been debarked. Um, He does have a very restricted YouTube channel left and he's got that website tr.news, but he's kicked off Twitter, kicked off Facebook, kicked off most social media, kicked off PayPal even. So he can fight, although, as you heard him say, he needs a little bit of time to get his feet under him. But uh, he used to have direct access to a million people, and now he doesn't. I think they've hobbled him. Look, we support his freedom, and we find him very interested, and we'll keep reporting on him. But it's not the same as him having his own boy. Well, that's the show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.